Y'all are killing me. Sticking with, <laughs> sticking with seven. Point fives <laughs> on a ten point scale. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Pulp Fliction. This is the one where, in honor of Bates Motel Season 4 having their season finale this week, we are going to review the Alfred Hitchcock 1960 horror masterpiece, Psycho. I'm your host, Tim Boy Brandon Rabar. <laughs> <laughs> nope, leaving it. Okay, Tim Boy Brandon Rabar. That's you. It's my, my radio name, along with co-host Jacob Crisp and Rachel Jameson. Rachel Love Jameson. There you go. Uh, we need a radio name for Jacob. Have you ever had a nickname? Yeah. Well, like what? We'll see if it works for, for a podcast. Baba Ganoush, the big guy. <laughs> that is it. I am only calling him Baba Ganoush from now on. You think I'm joking? I'm not. <laughs> Uh, let's roll that beautiful beam footage on a cycle. Let's check out that trailer. Here we have a quiet little motel, when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. Can you have a vacancy? Oh, we have 12 vacancies. You know, this is the first place it looks like it's hiding from the world. I think that... We're all in our private traps, clamped in them. And none of us can ever get out. Is anyone at home? Oh, that, that, uh, that must be my mother. Is anything wrong? Acting as if there's something wrong. She's not missing so much as she's run away. Put me down. Mother, oh God, mother! What are you running away from? She looked like a wrong one to you. It's not as if she were a, a maniac. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Thank you, Baba Ganoush. <laughs> uh, I'm really, really excited to review Psycho, one of my all-time favorite horror movies. It was the pioneer. It changed the game. I mean, it is the godfather, grandfather, whatever you want to call it. The grandfather. Of, <laughs> there you go. Of uh, slasher flicks. And Baba Ganoush had never seen it before. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop. Maybe <laughs> he'd never seen it before, and with Base Motel Indian, and you know, it's A and E's runaway hit, getting great ratings and great reviews, uh, and it's especially cool because if you're watching the show, you're seeing that Norman Bates is finally like really going full Norman Bates. So it's kind of the perfect time to review Psycho. So that's what we're gonna do here. Uh, we'll get to Jacob last because you know he's the one I'm most interested in since. He'd never seen it before. Oh, he had seen the remake, though. 
Yeah, uh, there's there's been asterisks next to me because one, I've seen the remake. Two, I've seen several of these clips over the years. You know, there's, I think with as big as a movie hound as I am, there's just no way to avoid some of that. Stuff. Yeah, it's so iconic. But as far as watching it from beginning to end, which I have twice now, you, know. yeah, you watched it twice in this week. Mm-hmm. That's so you're like. You know it then. Like, you're good to go. I feel like I'm good enough to talk about it. I read a lot of history on it, and especially, like, its relevance to film history. So, right. I feel, yeah, I feel like I can review it. Well, tell me this before I we mean, get into I mean, I reviewed, into... uh, I don't know, The Intern, so hopefully I can review Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, when you say it like that, that's I just know. sad. <laughs> that's just sad. Like, forever in your life, you'll always have the knowledge that you saw and reviewed The Intern before you'd ever seen Psycho. Oh. Good point. That's just sad. Oh, and there's so many other movies out there that oh, I shouldn't that's say right now. that's just sad. Uh, the Good Dinosaur as well. Man. Yeah. Here's the uh, basic plot of Psycho. A Phoenix secretary steals $40,000 from her employer's client, goes on the run, and checks into a remote motel run by a young man under, under the domination of his mother. So, Rachel, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it first. Uh, I've already kind of spilled the beans on myself. That it's, I mean, it's. it's <laughs> just spill the beans on you. Well, by, by proclaiming in the very beginning that it's one of my absolute favorites. It's it's a top three horror movie of all time for me, along with uh, The Shining and Nightmare on Elm Street. I kind of go back and forth and switch them out as my one, two, and three. But I, I don't actually know how much you do or don't love Psycho. I'm pretty sure you like it a lot, but I don't know. Do you love it? Like, I mean, it's. The iconic horror movie. I think, I and think as a horror movie fan, like what, what's your thoughts on it? I think it's a very, very good movie. And I understand its relevance in movie history and all of those things. So I understand it. And I enjoy it for all those things. It's not quite as scary. I mean, I, I didn't see this movie until my 20s. Mm-hmm. So it's not like super scary or anything because we've gotten to a lot more scarier things, obviously, since 1960 when this came out. But there are elements in there that are pure horror the storyline is fantastic the acting's mm-hmm. fantastic and so if you are a horror movie fan or just a movie fan it's a well-made movie it's hitchcock movie so obviously i think everybody should at least be able to appreciate psycho i like it a lot there are a few moments in there that are pretty unnerving still even though i've even seen it they're still pretty unnerving my favorite thing about psycho though is is hearing my grandma talk about when my grandpa saw it in the theater because when this originally came out it was revolutionary and everybody oh, yeah. was talking about it and everybody was freaking out about it saying it was the scariest thing ever. And my grandma said that when uh, she went to saw it with my grandpa, he actually, in the shower scene, he actually stood up and screamed in the middle of the theater. <laughs> and my grandpa is not the kind of person that would do that by any means. <laughs> so that kind of tells you like the effect that it had when it came out. But yeah, I, I think I like it a lot. I don't know that it's in my top three. It'd probably be in my top five, though. Oh, okay. So it's one of your favorites. Then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, for me, it still holds up incredibly well, uh, not only as a great movie, but the scares and, and the chill factor for me really still holds up. There's so many moments, I think, that are still really, really creepy as hell, even today. But that's the thing, man. I wish... You know, we talked on this show before how it would be cool to like sit in the theater the first time... Star Wars was was being played in the movie theater, you know, certain movies like that. But Psycho, if I could go back and watch any movie in the theater for the first time, I think for me it would be Psycho. Because like you said, 
I they mean, had to put people, warnings in front of the movie. They had to put warnings in, and and people would not shower after. Like people were afraid to take showers after this movie. I mean it. It was kind of the ultimate game changer as far as you know putting something on the big screen that people hadn't seen before. I would have loved to see the reaction from a crowd. Well, did uh, you say what year that Psycho came out? Came out yeah, nineteen sixty. Yeah, sixty. So apparently that was two years after that they had kind of gotten gone away with oh god dang it <laughs> Dude, I just saw it I forgot it son of a bitch. I'm really uh, interested okay. in what you're going to say eventually so two years right after they do, the production code was kind of fading away right and so you have like a movie unlike anyone anyone had ever seen that's mm-hmm. supposedly gorier right. than anyone had ever seen that's half the reason it was shot in black and white um, oh I had it I think I'd heard that before, but you're re-jogging that memory for me. That's one, right. One half the reason is That's because right. uh, he they didn't want to back uh, Hitchcock on the production of it, and so he wanted to do it for cheap. So he said, "Okay, fine. I'll get. I'll I'll do it black and white. I'll hire my guys from the uh, his TV show." And yes, he says, yes. and then because of the blood situation, you know that will help with the black and white thing. Yeah, that's hmm. that's and isn't that nuts? Because I think the effect is so much better. That was kind of like stumbling into something that was perfect but because i think it's so much better as a black and white i mean yeah, i say that i haven't seen it as a color film nobody has well yeah i guess we have we've seen gus van sant's color version it's not right. really as well, good it, it, it just kind of goes to say what we talk about quite a bit when you're put in a situation where you have to be creative mm-hmm. usually you get your best product right yes exactly exactly and and hitchcock was an established i mean he was already considered the great filmmaker of his time already at this point, which is funny because this kind of became his calling card movie, his big movie, but he was already considered the best at the time anyways. But it also shows you what he was up against if he was considered already such a great filmmaker and yet the studios weren't willing to back him. That's how afraid of this movie they were. Are you pretty versed on Hitchcock? Like in I'm, his history I'm, and stuff? I'm pretty ver- yeah, I'm pretty versed on Hitchcock. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean he's made, he'd made so many classics already up until that point. You know, and, and and everybody always just associates thriller horror with, with Hitchcock. But I mean, he did a lot of movies that weren't necessarily horror, thriller a lot of suspense and mystery, but it wasn't always horror. I think Psycho and the Birds, those are so big that people and in rear window. But when you look at movies like Vertigo or uh The Man Who Knew Too Much, uh Rebecca there were so many that were just kind of more suspense and, and things like that. Not necessarily horror. Uh, anyway, so, so I, I am really curious, though, what you think, Jacob. So as a first-time viewer, front to end, what did you think of Psycho? Um, I really liked it. I mean, I really did. And a lot of that kind of goes to, uh, I think because I knew other stuff that was happening, I could kind of more so focus on the acting, mm-hmm. um, getting, getting familiar with Anthony Perkins, right. Who plays Norman Bates, uh, also seeing Janet Lee, uh, because she was nominated for supporting actress for it. Right. And I've been in this mode lately where I've been watching a lot more classic movies. Right. So this kind of is just one more I can, I'm adding on to that list. Yeah. Uh, just because I think that they're just, they're different kind of actors then than they were now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and certainly shooting film was because there was a lot more still frames. 
you know, you didn't have high edits, so mm-hmm. you're forced to act out multiple yes dialogue instead of like thirty seconds dialogue. at a time or twenty seconds at a time. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. and so really, I mean, I really have become kind of um, oh, very impressed with with um, <laughs> it's it's hard not it's hard to talk about these actors. I mean, they're not like everyday names for right, me. Yeah, but anyway, so, so Janet Lee is who I've really been impressed with. Uh, right watching her uh over and over again her eyes first off her eyes are huge right and so they are allows, like a really cool yeah dynamic when she look when she's nervous when she's uh trying to elude people uh mm-hmm. you know yes. dodge questions yes and then you kind of balance that with you know norman bates who is like this innocent okay so anthony innocent perkins friendly yeah super friendly charismatic uh, yeah, yeah, talkative, and he's, yeah. he's you know, we know who he is, right? You know, I knew who he was, so it's kind of more fun for me just to see, like, okay, this is the guy who's going to go on to be one of the most famous serial killers of all time, right? Yeah, and so um, I really enjoyed that part of it. But she's harmless. She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. I am sorry. I, I only felt. It seems she's hurting you. I meant well. People always mean well. They cluck their thick tongues and shake their heads and suggest oh so very delicately. Of course, I've suggested it myself. But I hate to even think about it. She needs me. It's not as if she were a, a maniac, a raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? And then kind of to, again, compare it as a black and white film to other black and white films. And look, I watched it on iTunes, and so it's really been cleaned up, which is honestly actually really really cool and i think that helps for me the young techie kid in this generation because i, I don't have to worry about the scratchy film and that mm-hmm. sort of thing it looks really nice yeah how it's been restored but you know so i can compare it to uh you know bull uh i won't say bull Durham, raging bull oh right uh, yeah. i can compare it to of course any other black and white classic that i've seen and i mean i just think it holds up so well and this is officially my second Hitchcock movie. I've only seen Vertigo with you all. Uh-huh. And I mean, I've, I've, I have enjoyed both of them a lot because, you know, I like thrillers. I've always liked thrillers. Right. This, this guy's right up my alley and yeah. I'm just being headstrong by not watching more of his movies. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. Um, Rear Window should be next on your list, by the way. It probably is because yeah. we have also talked about I that. Not so much on the podcast, but the three of us, you know, in, um, over the years... I really enjoyed it, and um, I, you know, I threw it on again today just to to watch it before we did this review. And, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I can see myself doing that in the future. There are some movies that I will just put on and just, you know, go about my business during the day, whether it's playing around on my phone, doing chores. That I want to watch a serial killer kill, you know, someone yeah. in the shower. And I'd love to do that. You know? <laughs> that's a big step for you, though. Yeah. We, we may we may turn him into a horror movie guy after all. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you see, it's the thing too. Like, you know, we're all doing a top five over our favorite horror scenes, mm-hmm. but like, I just can't consider this horror because I'm not saying it doesn't hold up, 
but when you compare it to the horror we have today, it's, yeah, the, it's, the, the gore, it's a different the thing. It's a different, I mean, this is, but as far as history goes, right. You know, this was the very first slasher film. Yeah, it was. So it was. And, and it is funny. Like when you talk about it being considered really gory for the time, you know, when you watch the, the shower scene, you never actually see it, It's the way that Hitchcock filmed it and cut it. He made you see, think that you were seeing something just completely, you know, brutal and gory, but you never actually see the knife pierce her skin. Right. It's just the way it's cut. And then you see blood on the, you know, going down the drain and things like that. Which apparently that was chocolate syrup. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, because it was nice. much darker contrast. Yeah. Ah, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, you did learn a lot. Oh, that was some pretty cool, like, trivia stuff. Now, uh, another thing that was really cool at the time and really shocked people, I, I want to bring it up since you talked about Janet Lee. You know, she was a big star at the time. You know, she was she was really the only – well, Vera Miles, too. They said Anthony Perkins was also established, which was surprising yeah, to me. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I don't know anything about him. Yeah, well, it's funny. He was established, but this is – like all anybody knows him for now. Like after he did this movie, he they, he was typecast going forward, which sucks for him. It sucks for him because he did such a great he job. He just doesn't strike me as a crazy person. Even after this shit hit the right. fan, right. he's still like his kind of innocent, like you know, smiling self. I see him more as like I don't know, just a usually a good-hearted character. Right, is what I would think of it exactly, as. and that and that's what makes it so great. It's because. And that's what he believes he is. He he doesn't know that he's messed he's up. He's just really insane. Yeah. Like he, but he has no idea what he's doing. Yeah. And he plays it so So he's well. both guys at the same time. Yeah. Like, it's so it's good. Crazy. But Marion Crane getting killed, you know, in the middle of the movie, that was shocking to people because people thought, you know, she was first, you know, she was first in the credits. Uh, her name was highest on the bill. She was the star. And so the fact that, I mean, that shocked audiences too. Just the twist of her getting killed so early on in the movie. I wonder if that had happened yet in cinema. I don't know. I don't know if it had yet or not. I'm not sure about that, but I know it was a it was really really shocking to people. I mean, when I think about it now, how many movies out there do they kill off one of the highest billed you know actors that quickly? The only movie screams first thing I thought of. <laughs> yeah, scream. But but you knew that was a cameo kind of going in. It was a, sure. an extended right. cameo. The only movie I can think of recently where I was like, whoa. Okay. Was uh do you remember the place beyond the pines? Did you guys yeah. see that? That's with, what I was gonna say, and that's Gosling. why it suffered actually. Oh, I guess that's yeah. a good point. They, and they I guess in the way like, Pulp Fiction kinda did it too, but that's they kind of tricky with they the way brought the storylines are so still in it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. But yeah, no, nothing like this that I can think of besides that. And it's almost kinda like two different movies in a way. You know, you got the first third of it basically where uh, Marion Crane, you know, you see her stealing the money and going on the lamb and trying, you know, that whole thing. And it's really kind of your, I'm sure at the time, uh, just kind of your basic thriller caper type movie. And then it turns into this bloody horror movie. Well, and if you were just walking into it and you didn't know what Psycho was, the I would think it would be incredibly shocking because you don't know you're waiting for Norman Bates. You don't right. know any of that stuff. So. Psycho. Right, but yeah. still, so, if you yeah, if, with an R rating, if I went into this movie today, I don't generally look up things. So I would be like, "Why is this movie called Psycho? Like she's just stealing money." I wouldn't know where I was going with it. So I'm just saying, I think it would be incredibly cool to see this, not knowing what was going on at all, because it does it. It completely turns and becomes a different movie. Yeah, the the first third of the movie really isn't. I mean, it's not horror at all. It's it's just basically about her stealing that money and going on the lamb. Now. Something we haven't talked about at all is the score, uh, which is, yep. you know, it's it's one of the most famous scores of all time. 
And I mean, they're synonymous with each other. I mean, you think Psycho, I mean, automatically the music comes to my head. And I think his name is Bernard Herman. I believe that's uh, correct. Yes. There we go. Oh, that's that's actually something I'd heard before. Hitchcock insist, insisted that Bernard Herman write the score for Psycho despite the composer's refusal to accept a reduced fee for the film's lower budget. I know that Hitchcock I've got Wikipedia up here for Brandon, but I don't intend for him to read so, uh, all of it. <laughs> what did you say? Oh, I said I, I was just letting them know that I've got. You can find a lot of information on Wikipedia. Oh, oh gotcha, gotcha. And gotcha, I've got sorry, it pulled sorry. up here so we can find some stuff. But yeah, it's uh, but the music is is so good and and. Music with horror movies, you know, whether it be Jaws or Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, you can think of all you know the scores that go along. But again, Halloween's got a great one. Halloween, gosh, I don't know. That's my favorite. I one, think probably. music is one of the most crucial elements to horror movies. Yes, exactly. That's what I was getting to. And, Sorry. And no, 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 no. I'm glad you said it because you said it perfectly. And Psycho again, as the first, kind of established that. I think as well with it having such a great score. Um, and then you get to, you know, a lot of what makes Hitchcock's movies so great is the way that he creates suspense, just the way he shoots movies and, and little things that seem like small innocuous things, but end up, you know, just kind of being a little unnerving. Like, I think a great example of that is say after she's killed in the shower, Mm -hmm. there's a shot of the drain and then it goes straight to her her eye yes, Mm -hmm. and the camera's kind of just slowly turning yes, while also pulling back. Yes, and uh, you see her face. I mean, it, you see this like you know, it's pretty black and white eye. Mm-hmm. But then when you, the camera pulls back, it's like her face on the fl- the floor of the bathroom. Yes, you know, it's it's, it's such a great shot. It's a really cool shot. I mean, that, and that's just classic Hitchcock. Okay, I mean, I mean, you take such a skilled. That's when horror is like elevated to greatness. Is when you can take horror, and it's usually directed by these numbskulls uh, who. Or just any good, but when you Sam put Raimi. yeah, <laughs> hey, you stay away from Evil Dead and Spider Man. Uh, but when you take when you take the concept of a horror movie and put it in a great M Night Shyamalan, and it's, oh, you <laughs> <laughs> and put it in the hands of a skilled director like a Hitchcock, then I mean it really elevates to art. And so it's kind of this perfect storm of the most talented filmmaker at the time, a horror concept, and then. A concept that hadn't been seen before, like put on the big screen right. before, it was just kind of the perfect storm. I mean, if Psycho would have been directed by fill in the blank director from 1960, probably none of us know about it right now. I'm guessing. I'm guessing we, none of us would know. I don't know because we did that underrated uh, directors list, and all those studio directors just handled all those genres, and then yet you never knew about them. Yeah, that's it's true. hard to say what if. Yeah, sometimes on this because the script is still so good regardless. But Hitchcock does seem to have a way with thrillers. Yeah, yeah, so. absolutely. Did Hitchcock have any? Do you know if he had anything to do with the screenplay? Because it was based on a book, but did he? It's based do... on the book. What happened was is the book came out in 1959. Uh, it's actually based on a couple of individuals out of Wisconsin. Ed Geiner is one of them, right? That's Ed one Ye- of them, yeah. yeah. Then there was yeah. another, I mean, from what I read on Wikipedia, another Norman Bates. Oh, now, really? I don't, I'll have to, hmm. we'll have to double check on that part of it. But w- both of them stored their mothers in their bedroom or something like that. So crazy. Yes. So and crazy. so that was 59. The book came out. And so uh, Hitchcock's secretary read it, brought it to him. He had her. Ran up all the available books so that no one else could get a hold of it. I've read that before. That's and, right. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. 
And then he was that way people wouldn't know about the twist. Yes. And then took it to the studios where that's where they were like, no, we're not interested because why would we want to put a psychopathic killer on the screen? Isn't that hilarious? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so funny. Yeah. And, and it, you know, Hitchcock was so well respected at the time. That'd be like if Scorsese found some script and it was just something nobody had ever seen before. But Scorsese loved it, totally bought into it. It's like, I want to do this. And all the studios are like, oh, no, no, no Scorsese. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, how, that's what it would have been like. Yeah. And so that's how much the subject matter scared people at the time. Studios. I mean, not, mm-hmm. not just audiences, uh, but studios as well. And they probably didn't think it would make any money. They probably thought that, I mean, people would be up in arms. Who knows? But, man, yeah, I've forgotten about that. And, and gra- how great is that? And you bring up the twist. We haven't even talked about that. I mean, the twist be- – you know, it, it's kind of a bummer for you going into it because you know that he's the dual part, that he's also the mother. But uh, because <laughs> it's a part of pop culture, you we have always, to understand. We always spoil here on, on uh, uh, Pulp, yeah, Pulp Fiction. But that's the thing. But, but in 1960, <laughs> because like you said, Hitchcock took all the books up. Nobody knew going in. I mean, a lot of people probably actually thought it was the mother killing the people, because that's the way that the movie would lead you to believe mm-hmm. that he's a sweet guy and he's got a domineering mother, right? And she's the one doing the murdering. And then at the end, you see the great twist that she's dead and he's actually. And how creepy are the parts where like the bed is sunken in, right? Uh, Even like the, uh, the 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 birds that have been treated. Yes, um, I heard something really cool about the score. I never thought about this, but it makes perfect sense. So when when. When he's when he she is stabbing, you know, uh, Marion, and it's like that re re re. Yeah. Okay, so that's intentionally loud and with violins only because it's supposed to represent birds. Birds are Norman Bates. Whoa! Huh. And he only he only. Um, How funny! I don't know what the word, taxidermy word is for taxidermists. Taxidermics birds. Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> but know. He only either. treats mm. birds. And that's uh, funny. so there's some pretty that's that's really interesting, but it yeah. makes total sense if oh, yeah. it is true. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's, that is that's interesting. Awesome. I'm learning you all. I'm psycho. You should watch the movie. <laughs> it's available on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a lot of obviously the shower scene is the most iconic, one of the most iconic scenes. One thing all also the about the shower scene, too, I think it's really important no, no, <laughs> because she was actually going to turn back around, take that money back. So it's sort of like a baptism. She's she's cleansing herself of her uh, what she did wrong. And then before she gets a chance to make things right, <laughs> she's stopped. And of course. She'll never have that opportunity. That's also Interesting. awesome. I never actually thought about that. Yeah. Picked up on that. That's actually really. I'm running out. Of, I'm running out of a trivia. trivia. Somebody yeah, else needs to talk before Jacob runs out of trivia. <laughs> actually, no. <laughs> but what's your favorite scene? Obviously, the shower scene is the most iconic, and that's why we're doing our favorite uh, scenes from horror movies in our top five list. But but that's not the only great scene. There's so many great scenes in this. Uh, well, will it spoil anything for our top five list if we talk about our favorite scenes from Psycho? I mean, if you're going to possibly, if you're going to pick your favorite scene from Psycho, it's got to be the shower scene, right? I'm the short, the shower scene. Well, there I, are I guess other. That's like, the most iconic scene, but that's there are other really notable scenes. Going down to the basement one's pretty cool. Yeah, and it actually, is. him sitting in the uh, at the police station. Talking yes, to himself. That's, yes, that's, that's, the, cool end, that's what, the end scene. The, the end yeah. scene is so good. The whole. Where he's talking. So as, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are multiple scenes. There, there's so many yeah. scenes. I mean, obviously the shower scene is the most iconic, but you got uh, uh, one I want to bring up is I love when the private eye sneaks into Abernathy. the house and he's going up the stairs. And then that's an awesome shot. The shot. I was going to say the shot 
It's a, it's a bird's eye view of the stairs going up and the little hallway leading out from the bedroom and the private eye is slowly going up the stairs. Then all of a sudden, it's so quiet. It's so, it's so like soft. And then all of a sudden, the music blares and mother the, walks out so fast. So fast. It's the, that's what I remember makes that's it so the first creepy. time I saw that and I was like, oh, that's, that's weird. It was that's so the first creepy. time you saw it last yeah. week? Well, <laughs> I've seen that before. I've seen that scene, and I remember going like it was kind of just shuddering in a way. It was honestly that the first time I watched it. That's the scene that actually scared me the most, and just because the way it's it's so jarring, and out, and the fact that he she walks so quickly out of there. You know what, Rachel? It, so- it may have been last week, but I I was like, God, that's just kind of. That is one of the scenes that just made me really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because I had already seen before I saw it, I'd already seen this shower scene so many times just in random movie clips or it's been right. I mean, like you can't avoid the shower scene, but I didn't know about that scene and I didn't know about the, the actual reveal of what's Mm -hmm. going on and how his face when he comes through the door, like, Oh yeah. His face is so creepy. He's got that weird smile, psychotic like completely yeah, psychotic yeah. and turning mother around. And like, I hadn't seen any of that stuff, swing but I had the seen the shower light. scene. So yeah. the shower scene yes. had less impact to me than those other scenes did. Right. Because you're watching it now and you'd seen the shower. Scene right. So many times exactly. You watch it in 1960. Uh, but yeah, and definitely the last scene, uh, which has also become iconic where he's talking as mother and he says he wouldn't even hurt a fly. And then did you catch the the quick little subliminal skull over his face? I did. Okay. I did. I I forgot about it, but I did catch it. Yeah. That that whole scene is really – and then the smile, his little like – His little smile. His smile is so unnerving. Uh, But then also leading up to that though where the the psychiatrist is explaining basically the – basically explains in detail. Yeah. What – which I don't know if you see that much in movies anymore. Like if this was a this day and age, you know, movie, right? Where would they have ended it at? Would they? Right. We, would we have had that explanation? I don't know. I don't think like, they would have. Like I don't think they would have spelled it out for us. Yeah. They, they they definitely spelled it out for so us. So does that mean it works or it doesn't work? Or because I'm mean, obviously we can say well that was just how it was back then, right? But does it work? I think it's still effective because you've it's been jarring and you. But I think it would have been fine without it. I think you could have put the pieces together without it. Yeah. Uh, cool. Sorry, I was lost in thought. Good time. Yeah, it's not really a criticism, but I mean, I do know both times I've watched it now, because it's a long scene where the psychiatrist is explaining the whole thing. It is. I mean, to put that much time into it where it's like, well, no shit, dude. Yeah, but maybe you know 2016 jacob has seen way too many like alter ego movies right right We've exactly been the blanks now exactly. yeah. yes yeah <laughs> those 1960 granddad on the other hand yeah he had not he's like what the no <laughs> it's like and then during that whole scene it's like oh 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 I mean, that's probably they were dummies back then. <laughs> Man, I would pay so much money to see my grandpa do that. It's, it's so hilarious. Uh, so can we all just agree that Psycho is an incredible movie and yeah, it still really good. holds up? And For and, someone who, for the most part, never seen the whole full movie, I think it holds up great. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a classic for all the reasons. And I would highly suggest if you're a Psycho fan, if you're a fan of the Norman Bates character... Uh, Basin Hotel is really, really good. It is, uh, and, and it actually gets better and better as it goes on. It's, it's. 
So Bates Motel is basically Vera Farmiga is mother, is and mother. then it's a young. We have a young Norman. Yes, Freddie Highmore. Together, and so it's all about her demise and well, his and his buildup of his. It's it's about more. It's watching ego. Norman go downhill basically oh, yes. and turn into the Norman that you see in the movie. And how many seasons is it now? Four. Okay. And next season will be its last season. Right. Um. But it's it's so interesting to watch because he is all of those things, and I feel like Freddie Highmore does a good job with all mm-hmm. of that. He's he's charming, and he's such a sweet kid, and like yeah. you want to like him so much, but he is slowly losing his mind and becoming psycho. Yeah. So um, it's kind of a slow burn, but the payoff is so, so worth it. The first season, like Brandon said, it gets better season to season because they're picking up the pace more and more, and right. I have seen the finale Brandon has not seen the season finale yet, but she just, dies. It just aired last oh, night. It's going to be uh, <laughs> <laughs> next season's going to be cray cray guys. Yeah. Cause, cray. cause he's finally gone into full. He's, Norman he's Bates. about to kick it into full Norman Bates mode. Like yeah. I think we've set off everything that we can and next season will just be psycho Norman Bates. Yeah. I'm, I'm really pumped about it, but highly suggest, uh, Season one is definitely the weakest of all the seasons. And it is a little bit weird to get used to the fact that this is set in modern day and Psycho clearly was not modern. Uh, Well, it was for the time. Uh, But it threw me a little bit like, they can't have cell phones and it's, it like yeah. it was a little bit oh, weird, but once you point. get used yeah. to the fact that it's set in modern, modern day, it's yeah. uh, it's really really good. But there's a lot of callbacks to there to is Psycho, the, even like what Vermeer, Vera Farmiga drives. She drives an old class yeah. car, like and that. they're fun. They're actually getting into Hitchcock shots, like yes. actual shots, like um, the eye looking through the wall, things like that. They're actually getting into shots yeah. from Psycho. So uh, nice. and I. Vera Farmiga is like a standout. Like Freddie Highmore is really, really good. The two leads are fantastic. Has she been nominated? Uh, she, she was nominated for Golden Globe. I don't know. She absolutely should be. She's outstanding. Uh, she's so she's so good. She gets a lot of buzz for her. Like critics love her, and I can't remember if she's been nominated or not. To be honest, but if she hasn't, she needs to be because uh, she's she's just so good. As good as he is, and he is, she's even better. She is. I agree. Uh, and and when you watch it, you don't really know like, well, is she is she crazy too? Is she is she domineering? Is she the reason he becomes what he becomes? Uh, yeah, and, and you and get to kinda, see a, a lot of how that was formed and why that was that right. attachment to his mother was formed and that kind of stuff. So yeah, she has been nominated for an Emmy. Okay, I thought she had I wasn't for two thousand thirteen. Okay, I wasn't positive. About she should that, be so. nominated again. I'm sure she'll be nominated <laughs> again for this year. She's, she's real good. Well, that is Psycho by Pulp Fiction. If you haven't seen it by now, don't be a baba ganoush. Go out and watch <laughs> Psycho. Okay, <that> <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> Brought it back around. And now it's the time of the show where we uh, talk about what we've been watching lately. Jacob, what have you been watching lately? Oh, it's been somewhat of a busy week, so I don't have 15 movies to talk about. <laughs> um, I watched Joy, finally. Oh, was, yeah. Uh, looking forward to seeing it. It's David O. Russell's movie that came out uh, in December, this last yep. December, uh, starring Jennifer Lawrence and uh, various other actors, um, uh, Bradley Cooper. Yeah, Bradley. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, Bradley. I delivered that. Bradley Cooper, uh, <laughs> Robert De Niro. Yeah, so uh, starring uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Robert De Niro, Bradley Cooper, Edgar Ramirez, uh, Diane Ladd, Virginia Madsen, Isabella Rossellini, and Dasha Polanco. Rach, have you seen this movie? 
I wonder you two have seen this. I have right? not seen Joy. Brandon seen did. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I've seen it. I thought it was great. I loved it. Really? Yes. Uh, but but think about how I am. It's a it's a story about being inventive, yeah, entrepreneurial. It's it an true. underdog story, which actually I'm not always an underdog story guy, but it is. But this is definitely an underdog story that I enjoyed. I enjoyed the story, and I, I'll be honest. I, I do have some some criticism of it, but the story of itself of her. And look, this is a kind of a fifty a fifty percent true version of Joy Mangano. Is that how you say her name? Uh, I'm not sure. I Who mean, was I like the queen of uh, Home Shopping Network, right? Uh, and her invention of the Wonder Mop, which was cool. Like I like that. I and I didn't know that's exactly what it was going to be going into it because the trailers the were trailers completely misleading. Yes, and so that threw me off. Like once I realized, like, oh, it's about a chick who the Wonder Mop chick. Like that completely threw me off. And Jennifer Lawrence was great in it. She was the best oh, thing about awesome. it. Oh, she was awesome. I'm telling you, I'm so glad that she's done with the um, the Hunger Games series. Yeah, because now she can do some relaxing. She, she can really focus on because she's so good. She's, yeah, she's so ahead actress. of her time, yeah. which is weird because I just see a kid. Yeah. But she is just so, she, yeah, she's yeah, so she good. Is. She really is. Uh, and here's the, here's the thing about the story. like it, It's all over the place. It is. Uh, it jumps. Was, it jumps timelines like crazy. It does. And so the editing, it's certainly a problem. I, I read a, a Roger uh, Roger Ebert review on it, and he one simple thing that he kind of said was, "What you just said, like, uh, are they really going to do a movie about the Wonder Mop?" And yeah. it's like, "Yep, they sure are." And yeah. I'm going to jump right on board. Yeah. Uh, and when they do kind of go through all that, it's more so the process of just trying to get it produced and the, you know, all the the uphill battle she has to go yeah. through, but gosh, she's so good. And her, you know, her, she and Bradley Cooper, they just have great on-screen presence with they each do. other. Their chemistry is Their really chemistry. Really good together. It is. And so that's, that's a really kind of cool angle. Cause what he is, he's the, uh, I don't know if producer is the right word of the home shopping network. He's kind of getting the ball rolling right. back around 1990 ish. You know, they give her the chance to go on television to sell this mop. And I'll tell you what, that scene right after she, sells it and that kind of like that really it's like the one time they actually play like a score because it's filled with all right. kinds of you know david o russell songs right. which just rocking out half the time yeah but it's like the most elegant quiet pretty it's, it's, it's to me it was one of my favorite scenes in the movie mm-hmm. because it was like this release of uh, pressure for her right but then you know shit it's a fan right after that so yeah. just more stuff for her to deal with i'm sorry uh, Go ahead. With your oh, no, no. Some stuff. No, I really I, enjoyed it, man. I, I really did. I I was torn on the movie because of all the things that you said, I agree with. I enjoyed, especially I actually dug her storyline and her performance. But for me, it was the, the other characters and like her family really bothered me. Like the whole, especially the Rob De Niro and the new wife and all that stuff. And, uh, they were just such a holes and it was almost unbelievable, like how well, the, terrible they the were. The sister's to her. A, a figment; she's not real. She's right, not a real and, person. She, and she was terrible. Like, uh, like it was like okay, she's overcoming the odds, and I get that. That's a cool story, but I felt like they just like built her up so much and made her family so terrible that I had a like the, the scene this, that really sticks the out. The scene to me, where where Robert De Niro just dogs on her after yes. it just goes bad. Yes, right? that compl- when they finally give her the took me out of the movie. Stuff. I because thought that was pretty bad, too. Because I thought it was just so unbelievable. I was like, right. no, because no dad, no family would talk to her like this, especially given the circumstances and how it all went down and their their part in the whole thing. And it was all being pushed on her. And like I was like, uh, I, just, I, 
it took me out of the movie. There are two things in that scene in particular that I didn't like. One was how how Robert De Niro talked to her. The yes. other is, you know, she she loses it. She tells her daughter, "Never dream ever." Yes. Yes. And then she sits down, and reads the paperwork, and then boom, she's back on the yes. road. Like she just the way all that it, happened. It, it was almost unnecessary to have the meltdown. Yes, exactly. Totally agree. So, because she'd already had enough happening to her throughout the movie, she didn't need a meltdown scene to show that she's struggling. You right. Know? So anyway. Uh, I, I don't know how much we've spoiled already, but it's. I thought it was a, a great watch, but I'm kind of a sucker for for movies like yeah. that sometimes, especially when it comes to kind of being inventive. Yeah, uh, for something so simple, really. Yeah, it was really. And really I was simple. actually reading all kinds of stuff on Joy Mangano. Mangano. Yeah, I, I, I really like True it's Life. So story. cool, man. That too. Yeah. Oh yeah, man, she, she's a unique lady. Yeah, for sure. she is. And just a mom of three. Yeah. And she just uh, she just likes to invent things. Yeah. She has over a hundred patents. And it's cool that she came from like such humble background now she's like well that's a thing uh david or also spent like he spent like 100 hours on the phone with her but there was really more so the the creation side of it mm-hmm. her personal life is very much no one knows about it right so the grandma in the movie that's a Apparently, it's a series of women in David O. Russell's life that she... And she's also supposed to kind of be a conscience for Joy. Um, The sister, she's made up. The mother is also a series of people that Joy Mangano may have known. I believe that's right. So she wasn't exactly like that. Right. Um, Just sitting in her house watching soap operas. Right. So her family members were strange, but that's yeah. on David O. Russell. That's how he decided to write it. Right. Yeah. And, that's, and, that, and now, those were and my, then, that was sure my issue with the movie. Yeah. What? yeah. And that was my biggest issue yeah. with the movie was, was the other characters. So, but good flick. Uh, yeah. the only other thing I'll just say real quickly that I watched was, uh, ESPN's, um, 30 for 30 on Alan Iverson. Have you watched it yet? Missy and I watched it. Yeah. It's good. isn't it? It's really good. And it gives you completely different respect and appreciation for Alan Iverson. You know, he's probably our age, right? In his late yeah, he's, 30s, he's right about, yeah. probably 40, yeah. maybe he's, 40 he's, by he's now. He's pushing 40. You know, I think he is 38, 39. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot about him I didn't realize. I didn't realize how much of the um, hip-hop world that he brought into the yes. NBA. Yep, I didn't realize uh, that either. So I thought that was... Like, all these ESPN 30 for 30s, whenever we talk about them, are usually in high regard. Yeah, I think they they're so well done, and they're... Yeah. For Allen Iverson, I, I know that he was often probably misrepresented. Um, he was also outspoken. He got himself in a lot of trouble. I mean, yeah. there's no way around it. And you can tell he's been humbled yeah. now that he's wise, older and wiser. Yes. You know, kids do stupid things. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of this story. And it's cool to see him be reflective like that. Yes. Like realizing his mistakes. Open, open-minded to talking about it. Yes. But uh, real quickly, because two things that I thought were most eye-opening about that uh, 30 for 30 to me were finding out about the whole prison thing and how that went down and, and how much bull crap. It, I mean, it was basically just racism, put him in jail for, for a year or so. And he got pardoned by his governor because it was crap, especially since there was video proof that he wasn't even there during that whole thing. But then the other thing, you know, the thing that he's mocked about the most is that whole playoffs playoffs. That's thing. right. That's right. Or, or not playoffs. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Practice. practice. We talking about practice and then to find playoffs. out. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was confusing that Colts coach more or whatever. Uh, but the whole practice, we talking about practice, you know, people use that to make fun of him. Like saying like, Oh, he didn't care. He didn't practice hardware, which is the exact opposite. Uh, and it, in context of what was going on with his life right now at the time with losing his friend and all that stuff. I'm like, it's like why are we why are we talking about me missing a practice? I mean, yeah. I, I lost my 
best friend or whatever yes. it was. Why are we sitting here talking about practice? I didn't know the context of that because Me it's neither. become this pop culture thing to make fun of him for not practicing hard. Honestly, when you say Allen Iverson, one of the first things you probably think of is practice. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, and they took something that was like... And they make a point to address that and yeah. what you just said. Yeah, it was like the was, hardest part of his life and it's used against him now. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he ended up liking good. AI a lot more after and, that. And it's available on ESPN. ESPN. It's available on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, if you, uh, if anyone wants to watch it. AI. You're real tight now. <laughs> That's his nickname. That's not just Aura or, uh, the answer. Uh, those were his nicknames. Uh, hey, Rachel, welcome to the show. I know. <laughs> I haven't seen either one of those things, so. <laughs> so what have you watched lately? Green Room. Hey, I watched that too. Is this Whoa. the movie? Yes. Okay. Yeah, horror movie. Um, a little disappointing, given that it was uh, it's ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which for a horror movie is like holy crap. Yeah, it's big time. Um, that never ever happens, and so I was pretty jazzed about this movie. Um, the description is after witnessing a murder, a punk rock band is forced into a vicious fight for survival against a group of maniacal skinheads. Well, that sounds entertaining. Uh, That is, (laughs) that is accurate. (laughs) That is exactly Um, what happens. There were good and bad things about this movie. Um, good is that I think the characters made a lot of smart choices. It wasn't a dumb horror movie by, by any means. It wasn't a mindless horror movie, but I think that it, at least I got lost in what they, what exactly was happening. And I don't think that that's my fault because Brandon and I discussed it and he kind of got lost too. And we're not stupid people. Yeah. Uh, I don't need things spelt out for me, but, uh, it, it kind of got lost in the middle of, yeah, no, that, uh, I would say that's exactly right. I was entertained the whole time. I was, I was interested too. the whole time. The premise was cool, um, I thought. It was kind of something that I haven't seen before. It was different. Yeah, it was different, and, for sure. And the whole setting, at being at like a skinhead's hangout, basically, kind of made it a little unnerving. Right. And made the people unpredictable. And, you know, like the first half of it or so is fairly slow. And then once kind of like the, the gore and stuff happens, I mean, it's pretty intense. But I agree with you as far as losing the, it didn't connect the dots very well. I think that there's a lot of times where it's supposed to be like, oh, aha, or oh, that's interesting. Right. But I didn't, for whatever reason, and my brother was the same way. He watched it with us. Uh, we didn't exactly connect the dots, I don't think. I like, didn't connect like the dots. Like how the characters were. How they related to one another, yeah. what the motivation behind the skinheads were, as yes. far as like down to the details. I know the general motivation behind Yeah, like them. everything that Patrick Stewart was like telling them and instructing them to do right. and be careful of and all that stuff. I didn't really exactly no idea get, why they, he had all the specifics of what needed to happen. He was like the lead skinhead dude. He was like the, the boss of the whole place. So yeah, and I, he was giving them all directions on what to do to basically cover up the murder or to murder them, but, but without being caught, I guess, but, like, I, but, for, but for why? Okay. Yeah. Even as Pat too. So I was like, uh, yeah, um, (laughs) even as even down to like the timing of when things needed to happen, I never really got why that was important. Yes. Um, Well, because they talked about like certain songs being played and cues. Right. Right. All that stuff. And I didn't exactly know. And one of them was going to leave the skinheads and was going to leave with somebody else. But we didn't exactly know who I missed a lot of that stuff. And my other my other problem with it was that um, I didn't really care about the characters. They were fine. I didn't dislike any of them, but 
any of them died and I was like, oh, well, okay. You know what's interesting about that? They built like the first like 20 minutes or so were just pure, you know, just getting yeah, to Yeah, it was the just characters. the characters. They and- wanted to establish the characters, which in horror movies, that's that's always... Right. When, when movies take the time to establish characters, the idea is that you care about them. So when the shit hits the fan, you're, you're attached to them, right. so you care. And I think this movie tried to do that. But I'm with you. I didn't necessarily care. I guess maybe the lead guy played by uh, Anton Yelchin, just because he was seemed like a better dude than the other one. He did. He was definitely I, I the cared. most likable of them. And he's an endearing actor anyway. Yeah. So I've seen him in a lot of things. Yeah. He's, Star Trek. Yeah, he's in Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, crazy Love, whatever. Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah. Yeah, he's been in a lot of things. Alpha Dog. Yeah, only three I know him in. Yeah, he's an he's a sweet kind of guy, anyways. Yeah, he's a, he's an endearing guy. Yeah, uh, Fright Night. That's what Fright I was Night, trying yeah. to think of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I just still I just didn't really care. I didn't really care, but I was still interested. I just never really got connected to the characters, and I got lost on the the more intricate parts of the story. I liked it though. It was it was really well well made. See, and I, I, and I think it was, it was effective when, like, when the kills happened and stuff like that. I, I think it was effective. And it, the kills and, and were the really suspense, good. This is, the kills were great and and pretty like unpredictable how it was mm-hmm. going to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty creative kills. Uh, and it, I thought it was intense. Like, it actually sat with me well. I actually liked it more. I like it more now than a week ago when we saw it. Well, Green Room I just saw was directed by um, Jeremy Solner, who I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure you've seen Blue Ruin, Brandon. I've seen Blue Ruin. You yeah, have seen it we too. watched it okay, together, cool. actually. Yeah. Uh, that's a slow burn. Yes. It's definitely graphic whenever people get killed. It is. Which, yeah. graphics, which is exactly graphics how great Graphic slash authentic, yeah, which I really appreciated yes. about Blue Ruin. And I'm guessing that this is... You just yeah, started, you right? can. there's a lot of similarities with that kind of stuff. Blue Ruin's True. kind of a hidden gem. It's been on Netflix for a while, but it's it's, it's a pretty good, good movie. It, it is, is good movie. But it is a slow burn. Just be ready for that. And this is a And it's a pretty burn. simple story, too. And so. this is so a it's, simple well, story. And it's somewhat. realistic. Yeah. <laughs> and it's realistic. Like, I think it that is. was the other thing. Like, it seemed like, yeah, that, that could happen. So for me to say, like, oh, I was kind of disappointed because it's at 90% fresh, I would have given it a fresh rating. Um, and that's where you kind of have to be careful with. Rotten Tomatoes because my expectations were really, really high because for it. Because the reviews were so good. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, I would have given it fresh, so it would have been part of that group. I'm the too. same way. So, uh, I, gave I was it a super s- hyped for it, so I was mildly disappointed as well. But I, but it I gave it a well 7.5. Yeah, that's probably what I gave it to. Well, I'll round down to a 7 for Bob Bob Ganoush over there. 7. You know what's 5. funny? That adds up to I, like a 15 out of 20, huh? Okay. Yeah. You know what, though? Uh <laughs> I gave it a 7.5 on an initial viewing, and I rounded down to 7. But I think now I'm going to round up to 8. Y'all are killing me. Sticking with with (laughs) 7.5 on a 10-point scale. (laughs) All right. The movie I want to talk about that I watched this week, besides talking about both of y'all's movies with with you, uh, was Money Monster. The movie with George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Great cast. Two people who should attract people to theaters. Yes. But was it as boring as it looked? Uh, <laughs> I know nothing about this movie. It's also got Dominic West, of course, McNulty from, yeah. from The Wire. I do love Dominic. Uh, and it's directed by Jodie Foster. And the bad guy is played by Jack O'Connell, who you know from Unbroken, plays a completely different kind of character here. You know what? This this was a movie... It was just kind of like mindless... Inter- like, I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. And, you know, it was, I, I think, you know, 
it's a little a little bit politically charged because it talks about you know money and and the Wall Street types taking advantage of. So is that of, what what is it about? It's basically about um, okay. So George Clooney plays a guy that has a TV show and he's like a Wall Street guy and he gives tips on Wall Street, like what stocks to to purchase or sell and all that type of thing. Oh, and you he's, mean like, he's kind of uh, like a flamboyant, ta- like he dances around, like the pick of the week is this, ba 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 ba. You know, like kind of makes a big show of it. Okay. Um, and so, and Julia Roberts is his director. So she's in the control room telling him what to do and kind of opens. They kind of like, you know, go back and forth. It's funny. It's witty. And then a guy comes into the background. Julia Roberts like, who's that in the background? Anyways, turns out he's got a gun and he takes George Clooney hostage because, dun, 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 he had lost, lost $60,000 on a tip that George Clooney gave him and he wants explanations. You said this was a can't miss. And then it turns out that Dominic West was the guy that controls the stock and he's the one that like, you know, so it kind of, you know, goes to a higher place and maybe the corruption is up there. Maybe it's with George Clooney, mm-hmm. but this guy wants to find out. So basically he takes Clooney and the whole TV show hostage to I'm find out there. answers. And he's kind of like a bad guy, but at the same time, you're like, well, he kind of represents us, the little man who's getting taken advantage by all these people with money or kind of pulling the strings. It's an entertaining movie. Now, because of the situation, some things that happen, like, okay, well, that would never happen. There's some stupid things, like kind of eye-rolling, like, all right, well, that's dumb. But overall, it's an entertaining movie. Like, if you watch it, you'll be entertained. It's funny. It's suspenseful. Uh, and it's kind of fun to watch those kind of scenarios anyways. But it's... It could have been a really good movie, but it kind of blew that by being a little over the top and unrealistic sometimes. But I would I would suggest watching it. It's just weird. Is it, is it weird to say that it's that it's weird to see Julia Robertson movies anymore? I'm sorry, I just don't see her anymore. When I do, she's either like such a small role or her movies aren't good. And you know, she's with George Clooney here, which I think the last time they were together was probably Solaris. Yeah, or Ocean's Thirteen. Oh, I forgot about that. That's yeah, right. Yeah, um, I don't know. I just don't hold her in high regards like she was in the nineties. Well, you know, she was the biggest actress in the world. She was like the superstar. Right. I would not argue that. And then she kind of went away uh, after Aaron Brockovich. It seems. It seems like in my mind, she kind of went away for like a while. She just didn't do good movies after that. Yeah, I guess that's what it was. She just kind of didn't do good. I mean, I'm looking at what she's done lately because there's Larry Crown. There's yeah, I mean, she, she did was the Secret in Their Eyes in, remake. Uh, Charlie which, Wilson's War, which, you know, I, I thought she was oh, I fine love in that. that. Um, oh, she was in August, Osage County. She was good in that. Yeah, okay. So, I don't know. But you're right. But so Mirror, Mirror, Larry Crown, Secret in Their Eyes, Mother's Day. Maybe it's because I've, pray I've love. read that she's so difficult to work with. I just don't care about her anymore. No, but really, <laughs> I mean, she's only had a couple of, maybe one or two good movies over the past 10 years. Yeah. And... Kind of a bunch of flops, really. So when she, you know, her name pops up with George Clooney, it's like, oh wow! And I just don't feel like this movie was marketed at all. Nope, it wasn't. And it's like, those are two of the biggest. I mean, it probably doesn't help that you're up against civil war right now, right? But, but it was the second week of civil war, sure. And it's George I think Clooney. This and Julie was like Roberts. number three or four at the box office. Yeah, I mean, it did horrible. It, it it opened lower than Jungle Book's like sixth week or something like that, <laughs> which is pretty bad for those two stars. Yeah, you're but you're right. right. It wasn't marketed well at all. No. So, had you even heard of it? <laughs> I think I don't. I don't average... know. I don't know if I had. If I hadn't looked at Flickster and been like, "Oh, what's this?" and then looked it up. But yeah. I, no, I don't think that I had heard about it before that point. 
I think it's a movie that's bound to do really well on video and streaming just because... Because people will see it and be like, ooh, two big stars. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's what happens with these kind of movies that flop at the box office nowadays is people watch it uh, at home and they see the stars. But uh, it's worth watching. Uh, if you you know, if you want to waste two hours and be be mildly entertained, it's, it's worth a watch for sure. <laughs> You're really selling it. <laughs> I'm going to rush out and rent that immediately. <laughs> Well, that is Full Affliction. Be sure to listen to our top five favorite scenes from a horror movie in honor of the Bates Motel season finale slash our psycho review. This is Full Affliction. <laughs>